first, let's challenge the assumption that we're all the same and that all women are the same and that all women have the same desires and that womanhood in general is cookie cutter because it's not. We're all different. And there are diversity of ways women can honor God. Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Hey everyone, I'm Ken Keithley. In today's episode, Dr. Quinn and Megan Dickerson will talk with Courtney Moore on women and work. And after that, we'll have another edition of On My Bookshelf. But first, it's time for our segment called Headlines, in which we look at some aspect of the headlines like news, sports, pop culture, or business from a Christian perspective. In today's edition of Headlines, let's talk about Disney and Florida. Disney has been in an ongoing kerfuffle, I think that's to put it lightly, (laughs) with the state of Florida. And this has led to a pair of lawsuits between the state and Disney, where Disney is suing the state of Florida, uh, the state of Florida is suing Disney. Dr. Keithley, what in the world is going on in the Sunshine State uh, in this whole kerfuffle between the two? Yeah, well, this is an example of what someone called a five-layer cake. In other words, there's just layer after layer to this entire controversy. It started with promotions by the Disney Corporation of various gay pride activities and the affirmation of transgenderism. The governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, uh, responded in a a rather serious way uh, by not only passing some laws, but also taking away from uh, Disney some of the special tax and governance privileges that they enjoyed uh, in Florida. You remember Walt Disney World is one of the central uh, economic activities that's going on in Florida there with Disney World and everything else. And uh, they had had some very special arrangements uh, in terms of how how they were taxed, how how the local government uh, guided them, and they basically was an entity to themselves. And so the governor of Florida took away all of that uh, and did so basically for the purpose of of making a statement to Disney. And there are various lawsuits going back and forth. uh, And there's a lot of strategies that, quite honestly, uh, I'm not equipped to speak about all of that. But it's at the point now in which Disney is suing Ron DeSantis on a First Amendment charge saying that he, was, he is trying to keep a corporation from being able to exercise its First Amendment rights. Now, there's several things we can say here. First off, this illustrates the dilemma of looking upon a corporation as a human being. That's one of the strange things that happens now in American law is that a corporation is treated like an individual in many ways that has rights and liberties and things of that nature. Uh, So here you have a corporation, a business entity, claiming that it, as a collective entity, has the First Amendment rights to free speech. Now, you think about that, that's rather strange um, and, and and, and, and rather bizarre. 
uh, to say that this this entity, not a not a person, we all know that that individual humans in the United States have uh, have rights, and we call it the Bill of Rights. But then to say that this that a business is to be uh, treated in this way. And then we find where sometimes the businesses will start, will try to take a moral stance. And that's what's going on here. It also happened in North Carolina, if you remember, whenever there were things about the, the bathroom laws that resulted in some rather punitive things happening to North Carolina from like the NCAA and things of that nature, which then becomes ironic whenever uh, we point out that certain things happen in which they turn a blind eye to, say, like how NBA, for example, punished North Carolina for our stance, but then turned around and turned a blind eye to the things that were going on in China because that was to their economic advantage. Uh, Apple Computer is another example. Disney, I have to express a great deal of suspicion about the moral fortitude of a corporate entity and that a business corporation is in any position to be making ethical and moral policy for the United States uh, uh, as a whole. But what that shows you is the role that corporate America has in our culture today. I mean, think about what are the main places that out of which flow our worldview, our culture, our, our, our way of seeing things, the ambiance in which we, we live and the air we breathe and the water we drink. I mean, just the, the cultural milieu. It's really quite honestly not Washington. Uh, the, the political realm is more reactionary and more downstream as this situation illustrates. I mean, here you have the governor of Florida saying, hey, wait a minute, guys, you're not the ones that are supposed to be doing, to doing this. And you have uh, Mickey Mouse flexing <laughs> his muscles saying, well, yeah, I can if I want. And so you look at the situation that we have in our con- country. We'd like to think that it is our churches and the political leaders who are obviously the ones who would think, okay, pastors, uh, senators, we'd, we'd like to think that they're the ones who are guiding and directing us in terms of our culture. But quite honestly... The ones who are having a great role and playing a big part in the way that we think and the way that we understand right and wrong are the uh, corporate CEOs. Think it's Steve Jobs. It's Elon Musk. It's the various corporate entities that are deciding what direction our country is going to go. And usually they're behind the scenes and we don't notice them that well. What is going on here is that it's risen to the surface to where we see it played out in real time. It'll be interesting to see how this ends up. In a very real sense, as you're saying, uh, our moral imaginations are more shaped by uh, Mickey Mouse than they are by the church and the state. And even though we focus most of our time and energies thinking about the church and the state, but really it's these companies and, and specifically those that that, that create the content that we consume all the time, that, that really are shaping uh, what we think about right and wrong. We, uh, we, it's something we need to pray about and be aware of, especially. Well, and just remember that whereas a political structure has checks and balances, elections and laws and things of that nature, 
Uh, same thing for a, a church has a statement of faith and parameters. I say this is what we believe and what we hold to. We have uh, scripture as our authority in guiding us. What is the guiding ethos of a corporation? For them to say that they have some type of ethical compass to, to guide us, when the truth of the matter is, well, we really know what's going on, and that is it is a profit and loss. Uh, it, is a, it is an investment. Uh, are they making money? Those are the things that are really driving them. And I, I have a hard time taking their claims of virtue very seriously. Guys, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. We are really excited to have with us Courtney Moore, uh, an Auburn fan, sadly, but we'll talk about that later. But Courtney is with us today, joining from El Paso, Texas over Zoom, as well as our very own Megan Dickerson, who works with us overseeing our grant deliverables. Megan, tell us about Courtney and a little bit about this conversation. Courtney Moore is the founder and president of the nonprofit organization Women in Work, and she's co-host of the Women in Work podcast and general editor of the new book that's coming soon called Women in Work, Bearing God's Image and Joining in His Mission Through Our Work. She holds a BA in Religious Studies from the University of Mobile and an MA in Biblical Counseling from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Courtney is passionate about seeing Jesus Christ honored by women as they steward their gifts and leverage their unique potential for his glory. She and her husband, Brent, are parents of three great kids, and they're in El Paso where Brent pastors. First of all, thank you for joining us today, all the way from El Paso, where I know it's a couple of hours earlier than it is here, but thanks for joining us early anyway. Yeah, I'm so honored to be here. I was telling uh, you guys before we started recording that just what an honor it is to be a part of this podcast. I discovered uh, the Faith and Culture Center right when I began Women in Work and knew we were kindred spirits. And so it's just um, it's such an honor to be here with you. And all the way from El Paso, I do have to sh- give a shout out to War Eagle. We got to say, oh, we got to represent. Okay. All. So of all the thing, <laughs> of all the teams to cheer for in Alabama, we'll, we'll come back to it. First of all, tell us about this really, really cool organization that you started called Women in Work. Yeah, so Women in Work, uh, we are a nonprofit. We exist to see women confidently step into their God-given calling and view their work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. And so no matter what work women are called to do, we want to see them go for it by faith, confidently step into it, trusting the Lord, and know that it matters to what God is up to in the kingdom. And so we inspire women through conversation and biblical content to honor him, to image him to the world through their work and to leverage their potential ultimately for his glory. And how did you get started with this? What, what, how did this sort of begin to, to grow in your heart and then, and then eventually to materialize the way that it did? Yeah, so it really was the convergence of my own personal wrestling um, with what God had called me to do, what I was doing with my life, what I felt like maybe I could be doing with my life. There was just some wrestling there. And then also chatting with women, talking with women in my circles who were kind of feeling that same angst of like, oh, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, but I feel like maybe God could be doing more, could use me in broader ways. Um, this was really all, it kind of converged. I actually went to, the first time I actually went to an annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention was in 2017 when it was out in Phoenix, went to all the auxiliary uh, kind of breakout units for women 
And, you know, it was very much centered toward pastor's wives, ministry, and it just felt like, you know, there's like a whole missing category of women here who maybe don't fit this mold. And um, I really was just wrestling with that and noticing, you know, that this might be a need for women. And so all of those things kind of came together and um, women in work, we actually launched in 2018 at the annual meeting at the SBC with a panel discussion um, chatting with women about work and um, couldn't believe, you know, we had a great turnout and from there it's just grown. And so, yeah. So I've written in this area, I'm really, really keen on this conversation. Even just this past Sunday was diving into some of this um, uh, from the passage we were preaching on uh, with our congregation, the importance of faith and work, the intersection there, this being our, our work being so much of our own mission field and ministry, regardless of where your paycheck comes from. But I'm always curious, people who are in this conversation, how do you define work? What is this rather nebulous, oftentimes nebulous thing that we call work? I think it's a great question. And I mean, it's, it's, you feel like you got to get definitions, right? So I say this with trepidation, right? I feel like there's always exceptions to the rules. So as soon as I say this, I'm sure you're going to think of something like I should have added, but I would say work is an activity that one does that is designed to produce outcomes and fruit for the good of society and human flourishing. Okay. So I kind of, I can kind of walk through that a little bit. At first, I think. I it's like just, that. You, you've you like it? This is good. You've got a lot of thought to this. I love <laughs> well, it. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, definitions are, are really huge. And so it's obviously an activity. So you're doing something right, but it's distinctly human. If we go back mm-hmm. to Genesis two, obviously, or Genesis one and two, um, God made man and woman in his image. And then in chapter two, he says that when, when God completed the work that he had done, he talks about his work, basically that he had done. Okay. So there's that doing of God. He rested, right? So on the seventh day, he declared it holy. He rested from all his work that he had done his work of creation. So God himself is a worker. We bear his image. And so as humans, it is part of who we are as image bearers, to actually work. And then if you continue to think about the garden, the whole garden itself, not just humans, but all that God made was designed to multiply and grow and flourish. Mm -hmm. And so in our book that Megan mentioned, Elise Fitzpatrick wrote our first chapter and she talks about the creation mandate given right there, kind of the, the go for it with work, right? Here's your, here's your call to work Mm -hmm. um, given to both Adam and Eve, the man and the woman. But from that, We see that, so Elise says, she talks about the creation mandate. She talks about um, how that connects with the Great Commission in the New Testament. And I want to just, if I could just read a quote that she says, she says it so well. She says, not only was God working at the beginning, but he also commanded all his creation to work too. He commanded the vegetation and the animals to grow and produce after their kind. We usually call this work instinct. And you can see it everywhere in nature. Plants and animals work continually to multiply after their kind. In fact, that's really all they do. Every sort of living creature is commanded by God to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So, of course, they do. So, it's all of creation is to grow and multiply, and that's part of our work. But it's also an aspect of provision. And so, when God calls all of that to grow and work, He provided for Adam and Eve food. And it's just like our work today. It's a provision. Of course, if, like you mentioned a minute ago, earning a paycheck provides for our family all the all the needs that we have, but it also provides service to those we work with and for. So if you, you know, you're, you're constantly trying to love God and love others, and we can do that through our work. So, but even as I say that I, I immediately think of people with disabilities who possibly aren't physically able to work. 
Um, and so their worth is not defined by what they can or cannot do. Again, they're image bearers. And so they, they are worthy of dignity and honor simply because they exist and bear his image. And so that's kind of maybe my little definition of work. That's great. If everyone is committed to work, what are some unique things about women at work that you have found? Why does that conversation need to be specifically geared toward women? Megan, it's such a huge question. It's really hard to condense. I'm going to try. I mean, so work has always been deemed culturally as a given and necessary for men, right? Um, we view men as leaders, providers, so that burden of responsibility to work is, is inherently on men. But culturally, I feel like for women, it has felt pretty optional, right? Of course, everybody's working in all kinds of fields, whether it's in the home or not. But specifically thinking about work outside the home, it has, it has kind of felt optional. So up until the Industrial Revolution, so we're giving a broader context now to work, um, his, historical context. So up until the Industrial Revolution, work for both men and women was mainly conducted in the home because you had the agrarian lifestyle. And so, you know, the men would naturally, they'd be out in the field doing all that physical labor that might be hard for women to do. If women were having babies, they're going to be close to the home. They're going to be nursing. They're going to be caring for toddlers that can't care for themselves. But when the Industrial Revolution happened, the whole nature of work completely changed. Um, and so the possibilities and opportunities for work for women expanded, right? Um, so, and on top of that, you have World War II beginning uh, a little bit later on. And so men are gone. And then women again, are once again, called to do work possibly that they hadn't done to help with the war effort. Come up to the 1950s, you've got the men coming home, you've got the homemaker as really the status symbol for, you know, this excellent husband who's providing for his family. And at the same time, you have all these conveniences that have been invented for, for the modern household. And so the work that they might have been doing, you know, pre-industrial revolution in the household is, is really, I'm not going to say it's hard because we all know work from home is, is grueling. Um, but thank God we have washing machines and dishwashers, right? Um, so work has, has it's, it's, it's changed so much for women historically. And so we have a whole chapter on this in our book. Chapter seven is motherhood and the mission of God. Courtney Rice, our contributing author really goes into detail there. But so on top of that historical context, you have messages for Christian women from the church that Megan, I wonder if you heard these messages, but I know I sure did as a young woman, that if you want to really honor God as a woman, um, it's marriage and motherhood all the way, which again, really harkens back to Genesis, to that creation mandate. Um, you know, she was married to Adam, they're bearing children, they're multiplying all that. But we kind of have forgotten again, the great commission that now our great commission is to make disciples. And so the burden of, you know, waiting on a Messiah to be born from a woman no longer is there. He's already arrived. And now we live in light of the Messiah. He's come. And so our, our command now mainly is to make disciples. And we can do that in all kinds of things because Christ has redeemed all things. He is redeeming all things and work is a part of that, um, even for women. And so there are so many aspects of even what I just said that women have to think through. And in our book, um, we go through, we have 10 chapters on 10 things that women think about regarding their work. And so part of it is what I mentioned, just the design of work, image bearing. How do I know if I'm called work and identity for women? Comparison is always a huge issue there. Um, our physical bodies, Hannah Anderson wrote a chapter on how really the working world, the workplace is really designed for men. It's not designed for women who 
desire to have babies, nurse, and then hop back into work after that. So we talk about that. Stewardship is an issue. It's often overlooked with women because um, I am complimentary, but a lot of times the church has really emphasized what women cannot do. So we're not encouraged to steward gifts and even pull those out and, and bring those to life. The other issues you have single women who would love to get married, would love to have children, but um, but they're they have to work. It's not an option. They don't have a husband. There are so many things y'all working with men in the workplace. How can we do that? Well, and then um, we have a whole chapter on growing and developing your skills and gifts. Um, again, which leadership training for men is so prevalent, but not really for women. So those are just a uh, couple of topics, a couple of things there. We have to go into debt with all of those things, but it's a huge conversation for women, especially Christian women who want to honor God in all they do, in all they do. And, and we can, we can honor him in all we do work. Our work can become worship as we do it unto him. So there's a lot there. One of the questions I have in that is, do you think that it is different, um, to talk to like women generally about work and then moms and work? Do you, does that make sense? Like when we talk to about women and work, is that a different conversation than motherhood and work? I think that a motherhood is work. <laughs> Fatherhood is work. Parenting is arduous. You are planting and you're sowing seed and then you're waiting on that harvest and it's it's labor intensive, right? So, you know, you've got kids, Megan, I've got kids. Um, it's hard work to be a parent. Um, so I don't consider motherhood a different really category of work. I feel like there has been a huge separation though, culturally between quote, working moms and stay at home moms. And part of the problem with that, and you know, it's interesting because I, as a young wife and a young mom really had bought into, you know, stay at home mom, even better if I can homeschool that whole mentality and realize that maybe the Lord was calling me to something beyond that. And so I've been on kind of both camps. And I will say one of the problems is that our stay-at-home moms really don't interact that much with our moms who are working nine to five. And so there's this huge gap between these two women, even Christian women, we're not oversecting because the church, if you, for our stay-at-home moms, um, we've got Bible studies at 10 a.m. Well, these women over here just literally can't go because they're out being lawyers or doctors or whatever the Lord has called them to. Um, and so they don't intersect. And so a lot of times division builds even between these two groups of Christian women. And so I remember being in a camp where I genuinely thought, and the Lord, thank God has humbled me from this mindset, but I genuinely thought I'm a better mom because um, look, I, I am sacrificing my days and time to, 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 you know, train my kids. Um, and that's what God had called me to in that season. Right. But I, it was a matter of pride for me. Um, and so there's, I don't know if I'm quite answering your question, even this is such a, a huge topic, but I, I do want to mention this womanhood does not equal motherhood and motherhood does not equal womanhood. Okay. So women obviously can be mothers if that's what the Lord allows and calls her to it is work, but our single female friends and our women who are unable to have children for whatever reason are obviously no less a woman. So again, I feel like those women often are marginalized and feel demeaned because they're not honored because they're not mothers. Does that make sense? So yeah. there's just so much there. Um, and 
I would love to see us all, all be friends and all love each other and all women be valued um, for, yeah. for what God has called them to in that season, right? It's all about seasons of life as well. Courtney, I'm curious. Um, so I want to ask you about, as a pastor, I want to put my pastor hat on for a minute. In a minute, I want to ask you, what kind of things do you wish your pastor knew or would bear in mind with respect to these conversations? But before I get to that, this is an important point. I haven't thought as much about the fact that the stay-at-home mom group and then the working mom group tend not to to come together all that much and 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 kind of naturally so but I hadn't thought about the separation between those two but then it also it strikes me I've had a few conversations with with women over the years who are wrestling with should I leave my career and come home or or is it okay for me to pursue a career and not be a stay-at-home mom and I, I don't know what to say to that now, I'm oftentimes pointing them to other ladies for counsel how would you counsel someone? who's wrestling with, is it okay for me to pursue a career and not be a stay-at-home mom? Or should I be a stay-at-home mom, even if I do have a career or career aspirations? How, how do we work through that? It's a great question. I feel like so many moms think through this and they try to figure out because there's also a lot of emotion behind that question as well. And a lot of identity conversation going on in women's head because you feel there's a sense of guilt. If I leave, if I don't stay home with my kids, am I a bad mom? No one wants to be a bad mom. <laughs> no women, no woman wants to be uh, not as seen as not loving her kids well. And then, um, so I think that there's a lot of variance involved in that. First of all, your your family, your husband, if you're married. Um, again, that's another assumption. We assume all these women are married. There are a lot of divorced women who are in unbearable situations that the Lord is, is helping them persevere through. They literally do not have the option of not working because they have to provide for their kids. And there's just a lot there with, I don't want to forget those women who don't have the privilege of choosing. Right. right. One of the questions I would say is to this woman is what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Do you have a desire to steward some of the education God has given you, the skills he's given you, the passions he has put within you that you are willing to lay down? You have been willing to lay those down and serve your children. And that's honorable and that's respectable and, and valuable. Um, but, but is it in your heart? Maybe that's the Holy Spirit working in you to say, you know what? Um, you've, you have sown seed right here in your home. Now I'm calling you to sow some seed out here in the marketplace and um, to broaden that, right? Um, and so what does the Bible say? If we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. So it could be that God is calling this woman out to shine, a, to be a light in the workplace um, for his name. Obviously, if he's leading her, he wants her to be a light. And so I would say, what do you want to do? If that is in your heart and he's providing opportunities for that, and it makes sense for your family and your husband is like, he sees this gift in you. And he's like, oh my gosh, you would just rock at that. I, and he's mm -hmm. totally behind it. Why not? Why not? And you've got childcare that you trust these people who love your children and you've prayed about it and the Lord has provided. And it just seems like, oh my goodness, this is from his hand. I'm not just pushing this because I'm self-willed and yeah. uh, can't stand my children. I can't be with them another minute. Uh, most of these women would never say that. They love their children. Um, all women, right? Um, and so I think you really have to take it a family by family basis and just just see like, is is this a good option for us right now? It might it might be that the Lord's put that fire in you to do that, but it might not be the right time. Um, so you might have to wait. Or, and even then you can still be building your skills and reading and learning. And um, he's going to use that time later when he does provide the opportunity. Um, so 
I think that's, that would probably be what I would say. So right there at the end, you were saying maybe maybe it's a good thing, but not the right time. Would you would you see this discussion as it may not be an all or nothing kind of decision? It may be that, look, you may be a stay-at-home mom for five, six, seven, eight, maybe 10 years, but then maybe when your kids come of a certain age, then you're, then you're going and pursuing a career or something like that. Would you counsel someone, don't feel like you're making the next 30 years of decision, but you're so thinking true. more of a five to 10 year window and then just work through it at that sort of at that stage? So true. And not only that, but even just part-time work. When my children, let me think, I was, I had two kids, one like in elementary school, one in preschool and one on the way. So I was pregnant with my third. Um, I had, while my boys were in preschool, I just had a part-time job. It was just contract work. I got to do it from home and it was amazing. It was so life-giving to me. Right. And that actually built my skills up and I was making a little bit of money, which was also nice. Um, so definitely it is, it is a season by season, um, check. I mean, we, another conversation we always are having is that work-life balance. We, women are always wanting to hear about that and how do you do it? Um, and that I always am I'm thinking, okay, we have to take this. We're going to look at this a, as a semester. We're going to take this a year yeah. at a time. And then we're going to reevaluate what worked, what didn't work. Is this worth it? Is this worth, um, the commute, is this worth whatever, all the factors involved in your life, you really do have to constant. I think that's wisdom is reevaluate and adjust and see, and, um, is the cost, is it, is it, is it worth it? Courtney, at what point did your kids become part of that conversation instead of just with your husband? At what point did you bring your kids into the discussion and say, do you feel like we're serving you guys? Well, do you, or did you guys do that? Did you bring them in at any point and, and let them have kind of buy-in and voice into the decision? That's a great question. Yeah. I feel like my kids, like one of the ways I know if I'm working too much or spending too much, like the, this book, for example, when um, the book we turned in our manuscript, right? I mean, that was a season of like head down. I'm in the computer um, full on. We've got to get this done. Right. And so you could feel, oh my goodness, my kids, are, they can feel this. They can feel this just in the words they're saying in the conversation. They miss me. Oh, daddy's tucking me in again tonight. You know, that kind of thing. And so I think that's huge. I also think you have to be careful though, because kids and Megan, I'd love to hear if you feel like this is true of you, but it's tricky because they're kids, right? And I know I can't shower without my kids knocking on the door. So kids will take as much as you give. So, and they want all of you 24 seven. So I think it's tricky. I mean, definitely hear them out, but you still have to weigh like what's right for an, our entire family. Because I mean, my kids would, would allow me to just serve them hand and foot all day long. If, <laughs> if there, if that was the only option. Sure. Megan, I'm, I'm curious if you would add anything to that. Yeah. And when I transitioned into this role, my kids, the older ones are 10 and 12. And so we definitely talked with them, like, are you going to be willing to wash dishes more often so that I, mommy can do this? Or there are going to be changes in our lifestyle. And so they needed to buy into that as well. We couldn't just take, because we went from, I was a homeschool mom until this year. And so they've had me 24 seven until our oldest is in sixth grade. And so um, I worked from home and I did some different things, but they, this is a big transition for them. And so they needed to be part of that. One thing that, and you were talking about how to make those decisions. One uh, of my favorite women has said to me, you can't use all your gifts at the same time. Mm 
And so there are seasons when you get to lean into certain gifts. Like I got to lean into the gift of having children for several years. And now I get to lean into a gift of um, my academic gifting that I get to spend more time in that direction. But I can't do all of that at the same time because that's a lie. I didn't grow up in the church and I grew up believing that I could have it all. And, and we really can't, nobody can. And so it's picking and choosing what we want and what's best for us and the people around us season by season, year by year. Just like you said, that was so good, Courtney, really encouraging. That's good. Courtney, talk to me as a pastor for a minute, or imagine talking to your pastor. If the, if the conversation was opened and he were to say, Courtney, what's, what's one thing you wish that I would remember or something that you wish I would change with respect to my pastoral ministry, preaching, teaching, shepherding, what's something that you think would be helpful for pastors to hear? I think a lot of times the church in general and probably pastors as well, we live in ideals, what the ideal is. And I would like pastors to maybe step outside of their normal assumption of, you know, this is the mom, the dad, the 2.2 kids, and we're all a beautiful, happy, perfect Christian family. No one really thinks that, but we do. We kind of walk in and we're all cheerful to be there and um, and so I would, I think this is kind of a multi-tiered answer. So I would say first, let's challenge the assumption that we're all the same and that all women are the same and that all women have the same desires and that womanhood in general is cookie cutter because it's not, we're all different. And there are diversity of ways women can honor God in a million different ways because we're all different. Right. Um, and so to kind of shake that assumption, right. First of all. And then to have the heart that says, I see that I care about these women and I value, I value the diversity I see in these women. I value that. And I honor that because that's something God has done just as he's created different skin tones and um, a diversity. I live out in the desert, which, you know, our springtime is basically just wind. We just got a bunch of wind right now. (laughs) Whereas I know, I mean, just the diversity of even creation, it all honors God. And so the diversity of women and their gifts is something to be valued. And then I would say for the action, right? So those are just kind of head and heart things for pastors, assumptions and heart change of really caring. But then I would say the action is to just, this is so simple, but I would just say, just ask them about their work, not assuming, okay, you've got, you know, a four-year-old so that I'm assuming you stay home, right? And that you're married. So we've cracked that, that's pushed aside. And then we're asking them, okay, so, you know, uh, how's your week been? What, what does your week look like? Oh, you do that. Oh, wow. How did you get involved in that? And really care and just engage them in conversation. I think just think asking them, that's been huge for me. It's just mm. having men care. Mm. Um, yeah. because a lot of times, I don't know, women are just doing their own thing over there. And men, depending on your church and depending on where you're, you know, especially kind of the seminary atmosphere, I would think is this way, you know, men are doing all this important theological work and women are kind of doing whatever it is they do, but to actually enter into those, what they're doing and care about it. And, um, and then go a step further and help ask the Lord to help you discover ways that you to identify ways that, um, some of the transferable skills that they have, maybe they are just rocking it with administration in their workplace. And, you need someone to just come in a couple of hours a week and make sense of, you know, visitor lists or who knows what you got going on, but um, to just identify, recognize, and ask these women, listen, we've got a need in the church. I see you are skilled in the workplace in this way. Um, Would you be willing to serve the church? And these women are waiting to be asked. 
Mm. Right. Because in the workplace, many of these women, I've talked with so many women who are very honored in their work. They're very esteemed in their work um, that they do every single day, but then they come to church and they're not honored. They're, they're not even seen. They don't, they're not even known for what they do, much less asked to be pulled in and utilized in their local body. And they want to be, they really, really want to be, they just don't have a vision for it. Um, mainly because their pastor doesn't have a vision for it. Yeah, that's good. That's really helpful, Courtney. So this whole season, we're talking about human formation. So Courtney, you've given us a lot of different things to think about, but what does this conversation around women and work have to do with our spiritual formation? I love the question. I love it. A lot of times we think about, I don't know about you, but when I was in seminary and thinking about getting married, um, one of the big kind of pushes or, you know, I mean, we all wanted to get married, so it wasn't like that, but one of the things they would tell us is like marriage is such a place of sanctification. When you start living with this sinner, you're going to be rubbing shoulders. No one ever told me, guess what? Work is a place of sanctification, right? I completely underestimated how your work can actually grow your Christian life. And so we live in a fallen world. We operate, we work in a world that is broken. And so that means we're going to be confronted with opportunities all the time to respond either sinfully to these broken places from our flesh, or we can, you know, the p- computer can shut down and we respond righteously from the spirit. And so um, I would just say to your listeners, let's ask God to open our eyes to those opportunities. They come all the time. And it's just, how am I going to respond? Am I going to live and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? Um, because I know John, you know, 15, five, apart from him, I can do nothing anyway. As a believer, I'm going to be walking in him and with him, and he's going to be empowering everything I do. So when those opportunities for frustration uh, come, I'm going to flip that around and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to have the eyes to see. Um, this is a moment for me to grow in Christ likeness. Help me renew my mind with your word, Lord Jesus. And maybe that you've got a coworker or a client coming at you and they are irate about something, how you respond is going to make all the difference. And the power of the Holy Spirit in you is going to help you do that. And then you're going to be more transformed into the image of Christ. Um, so those are huge. I mean, the opportunities all day long to grow um, more like Jesus as we work. I can roll tide to that, Courtney. Well said, <laughs> really well said. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for uh, all that you're doing with Women in Work. Tell us where our listeners can follow you and your work and, and even where they can find your most recent book. Yeah. Okay. The easiest way to find us is just our website. It's womenwork.net, womenwork.net. Um, of course, you can find us on the socials. Um, just change the .net to underscore womenwork underscore net. You'll find all of our links there. Um, we also have a podcast. I actually co-host our podcast, the Women Who Work podcast, with one of your own, Missy Branch. Yes. Uh, yes. So we, we have a Missy. blast. So you can find the podcast there. We have a book club that we, you know, organize and then uh, do a live Q&A with the author of the book. We've got a ton of stuff going on. I would love for your listeners to get involved. We also have a scholarship. We just launched our scholarship for women to pursue higher education. And so um, unfortunately, by the time your listeners hear this, the the window will be closed. They'll have to wait for the next go around. But uh, yeah, womenwork.net um, would love to connect. Fantastic. And the most recent book, Women and Work, is available on Amazon. Even some of the contributors you mentioned uh, as we were talking, Hannah Anderson, Missy Branch, uh, Amy Whitfield. So several people here who we're connected with and have had on the podcast and are friends with. So Courtney, thank you for your work. This is fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. It is honestly such a pleasure to, to be here with you guys. And now it's time for On My Bookshelf, the part of the show where professors at Southeastern share what they're reading right now. 
Today we have with us our own Dr. Benjamin Quinn. Dr. Quinn, what's on your bookshelf? There's way too much on my bookshelf at the moment, Nathaniel, with various writing projects, but here's one that comes to mind immediately. Um, So I pastor a church uh, nearby, and so I'm often trying to take in content about preaching or pastoring or uh, soul care, those kinds of things. A book that came out in 2015, published by Crossway, is called The Imperfect Pastor. The Imperfect Pastor by Zach Eswine. I think I'm saying his name rightly. Uh, Zach is a Presbyterian minister, I believe, and wrote this book uh, in 2015, actually following a whole lot of what he might call failure in ministry. Um, He's still active in what he's doing, but following probably just poor approaches to pastoral ministry, uh, even following a divorce uh, and following just a lot of a lot of things that he would say, I wish I had done differently, whether that relates to work-life balance, whether that relates to boundaries between ministry and family, whether that relates to how he, how he preaches sermons and how he goes about uh, shepherding the flock. Um, I think he, this is as much as anything just kind of a, a book of confession about here, here are things I would do differently. Here are the kinds of counsels that I would give to aspiring and even existing ministers. Um, and here are ways also just to, to, to really decrease ourselves uh, as pastors as we seek to increase um, magnification on who Jesus is. So it's a really well done, sometimes very uncomfortable book. He tells some stories that I'm, I cringe. I'm, sometimes I'm glad I'm, uh, I'm not reading this out loud to other people. Um, but it's also, it's just raw and it's honest, and I found it incredibly helpful. One more time, the title of the book? The Imperfect Pastor, Discovering Joy in Our Limitations Through a Daily Apprenticeship with Jesus. Thank you, Dr. Quinn, for that recommendation. And thank you all for listening to today's episode of Christ and Culture. If you enjoyed it, give us a five-star rating brief review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.